Hello, my name is Taylor Clement, head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. And today we are going to be talking about Christmas once more. Last week's podcast, we talked with Dr. Dan Doriani uh, in regards to Santa and what that means in the spiritualization of Christmas. But this week, uh, we're going to be looking at the emotions of Christmas, how to deal with family, how to deal with family with, with younger children. This is something that I think affects the majority of our families, uh, whether they're from St. Louis or they're traveling or whatever that may be. And so we're, we've done a little bit of research. We're, we're going to go over some kind of tips and things, but, but also just discussing the need for Christmas. And again, goal of our podcast is to nurture, educate, and equip both our kids, but also our families uh, as we go through life together. And so, uh, Maria, let's start with this. Let's talk about just really the spiritual need for Christmas. Mm. Yeah, it's a time of rest to some degree. Is it, though? I mean, ideally it would be right ideally it would be a rest and celebration and thanksgiving for the lord coming to be with his people so every year and we're in the process of it right now is i do an advent devotion with sixth graders and so um, we kind of take a break from our typical devotions and i start these advent devotions by showing a pretty serene american living room with a you know soft fire a glow (laughs) Right, um, and you've got this kind of beautifully uh, decorated Christmas tree, Joanna Gaines style. You know, it's got at least a hundred lights per foot, as <laughs> as you know the American Christmas Tree Foundation, which I'm making up, uh, recommends. But um, you know, you've got these things, and we've got this ambiance. We we've got this idea of mm-hmm. Christmas that it should be restful and relaxing. And at least in my mind, at the end of a Christmas story, when the mother and the father are sitting and it's snowing outside. They turn the mm-hmm. lights off. You see the glow of the Christmas yeah. tree, the snow coming down heavily. Uh, it's kind of this moment of peace on earth, yeah. right? We, we hear that. We think that. But rarely does it ever really come out. I mean, I think National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and maybe like Four Christmases and some yeah. of the zanier, we'll call them, movies seem to be a little bit more indicative of mm-hmm. a 21st century Christmas. Yeah, joy to the world doesn't necessarily always scream true at the holidays i mean theologically we can get there right yeah, right definitely 100 percent theologically joy to the world um but even just the cultural idea that christmas is a, is a season of joy and peace and understanding it is and we don't always experience that at christmas time you know, there are, there are seasons of our life where we may not experience that. There may be people in our circles who are going through a season of life where they don't experience that. And so some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is hopefully going to just be helpful in reframing some of how we can still be present during this season. So one of the things we want to be quick to acknowledge uh, is the fact that, number one, particularly for Kirk Day School, for our families. Christmas is a time uh, predominantly for our families to get together with their extended family and friends. We see that, we see that on a regular basis, we hear that from our kids, stories from parents, etc. The other thing though is we also realize that it can be a very difficult season for people throughout our community due to loss, due to childhood memories, whatever that might be. And so we wanna acknowledge really that is part of it. So yeah, we're gonna talk about a, a few tips here and there, 
but but when we get to the need for Christmas, let's start with a little bit more theology. Let's start with the kind of the spirituality of it. You know, Christmas to me, it, it's a funny thing because you know we're going historically, and we kind of talked about this in our last podcast. If we're looking at a, a, a kind of a historiography in, in a way, you say. Mm, Christmas is really just uh, already we had the Roman calendar. We just mm-hmm. plugged in the pagan holidays with, with believing sure. holidays. Yeah, there's some historical truth to that. The beautiful thing about Christmas, at least I find, being in a Western Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere kind of situation mm-hmm. is it's cold. Yeah. It's dark. <laughs> and we get to experience the quote-unquote light of the world coming in. Yeah. Right? Uh, why are there candles in windows is something that my, my young ones ask. Like, why do, why do they have a candle or why do we put up Christmas lights? To reflect the light of Jesus coming into the world. And uh, one of the passages that, that we go with is Isaiah 9, uh, 2 through 7. The latter part of this passage we know and we know well. Uh, it's it's um, very famous. But the earlier part of the passage I think, think is interesting. So, so let me read this uh, briefly. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then here comes the famous part. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mm-hmm. Of the increase of his government and the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I always think of um, the one that's really powerful to me that always stands out at Christmas time, which isn't necessarily a verse that you would read at Christmas, but is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. That God came down to us in a human form. Right. And that is refreshing that in a season that can oftentimes feel lonely depending on where your life stage is, that the Savior of the world came down to be a human and endure the human life that we suffer at times, you know, being human and living in this broken world. That's really powerful to me, the presence part. Right, and we see throughout Scripture the the darkness is used time and time again, both in a spiritual context, but also the physical context, Mm -hmm. being able to represent such. And that that God, the first thing he did in his creation is to give us light. And so we know that good things come from light, and to hear both in Isaiah, knowing that, that is a, there's a continuity there through Scripture mm-hmm. into the New Testament, that, mm-hmm. that Jesus is the light of the world, mm-hmm. that he is coming to rescue mm-hmm. us, and that is such a powerful thing. But the holidays can feel dark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, right now it's getting dark around 4.45 p.m. It's which, rough for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's rough. Uh, if you live anywhere east of us, so like in Nashville, it gets dark around 4.30, so we tri- typically travel to Nashville. My parents are on the western side of the eastern time zone, so it's not as bad, but... Um, it's still rough, and, and it's yeah. a tough season for people, and so you're, you're in the holidays. There's also the nostalgia piece, yeah. and so let's start for a moment, and putting on your, your, your of course, you know, licensed counselor brain, how do we go about this in regards to just understanding either relatives 
or close friends that perhaps are going through grief at this time of year, what might they be experiencing? Yeah, I think that's a really um, important point to remember, especially when we're interacting with family. But to remember that the holiday season doesn't put the rest of life on pause. So if things are hard at work, if things are hard you know, within a marriage or a family, if, if you're suffering from a loss of someone close to you, those things don't stop being what they are just because it's Christmas. Yeah. And so there's that component. There's also the component that because there's so much family time and together time, and there's this idea and mentality that in the Christmas season you need to be around people. The expectation is you're around people who you love and who love you. And not everybody feels that way about their family. Um, some of that may be because of a history of difficult relationships. Some of it may be because you know they've just lost someone they love. Um, some of some of it may be because they have a longing to be married or they have a longing to be kids and those longings haven't been met yet. And so I think it's really important that as whether we are in that place or whether we know someone in that place, we're gracious to ourselves or to others that this season may be filled with some grief or some sadness and that's okay. Um, I know that you know, for families going through transitions, um, it can be that first kind of Christmas without someone or without the way that it used to be can bring a lot of anxiety, frustration. Sometimes that comes out in our kids through behavior that we don't like or that is, you know, mean or aggressive or, quote, misbehavior. Um, and I think it's just important to remember that there may be more going on under the surface. So Peter Scazzaro, who's written a book, The Emotionally Healthy Church, um, phenomenal book. It's, it's really just very rich with wisdom and, and biblically based, of course. But he has, a, he has a section in his book called Grieving is Not an Interruption. <laughs> it's such a great title. Right? And what he, what he says about himself, and this is, this is fascinating, he says, I was also uncomfortable with the lack of control I might have allowed if I allowed myself to feel the depression, the anger, the sadness, and the doubts about God. And he goes on to say, I hated the notion of losing control and having to wait so helplessly for God. Yeah, grief can feel like a, a, a big wave, you know like you're, you're dodging waves in the ocean. And it can come and be a massive hit at times, and then at other times it can pass like it's no big deal. But grief doesn't stop just because it's the Christmas season. And for some, grief increases. And, and he goes on to say, to, to just continue with this, one of the reasons I resisted stopping from all my busy activity is I did not want to face the sadness that was waiting for yeah. me. And, and I identify tremendously with that yeah. statement. Um, I don't want to face the sadness that was waiting for me. I don't want to wait on God. Yep. I want to be in control. Yep. And I think a lot of times, um, be it culturally, um, theologically, whatever we want to call it, we're, we're kind of, it's the one time of year that we're really called to press the brakes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to slow down. Yes. 
and we see you know at times frankly an increase in a lot of violent activity mm -hmm. and you know we're gonna go over some tips here in, in a minute that we, that we were gotten from a few different uh, resources but one of the things that we also see in these violent activities is with our local law enforcement um, you know just yesterday I was talking to a corporal at town and country and I said you know you know what's your holiday schedule look like and he said you know working Christmas Eve 6 p.m. to Christmas Day 6 a.m. So he's got that, yeah. as I called it, the Santa Claus shift. <laughs> and uh, he he said, yeah, and I, he goes, it'll be a pretty boring night, but if I get a call, they're pretty rough. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, we see a pretty strong uptick in domestic violence this time of year. Mm. He said people are together more. Mm. They're not used to being together more. People get in arguments. They don't know how to really behave with one another because for the first time, you know, in a, in a while, they're, they're having to sit down and look at each other. Thanksgiving's pretty quick, right? Yeah. Christmas, yeah. almost everyone, in, even in the corporate world, identifies mm -hmm. a bit of a slower pace. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. And I think, one, it's just important to recognize that. Like, it's important to recognize, I think when we're kids, or at least I felt this way as a kid, and as you guys heard last week, Christmas was a um, major celebration in our household. So... I think as kids, there's this expectation that, like, this is going to be a happy time of year and nothing's going to go wrong. Um, and then as we become adults, that can change and shift a little bit. And emotions can become a lot higher at Christmas because we have, because it, there is more meaning to Christmas, right? Like, it's not just another weekend. It's not just a couple days off. It's not the same as Fourth of July. Right, you don't hear an uptick in the same way yeah. of domestic violence for Fourth of July as you do for Christmas. Um, well, and, and spiritually, for that matter, Easter, right? Yeah, exactly. And and I, I do not, by any stretch of the matter, want to lose the importance of Easter, right? Um, and there, there's so many you know differences of of opinion and certain you know religious importance sure. of both and what what have you. They're they're both unbelievably important holidays within within Christendom, but there there's an aspect where Easter it's warmer, people are outside, mm -hmm. they're doing mm -hmm. things, there's more mm -hmm. activities, etc. Where Christmas the activity really is focused on being together. And indoors yeah. together. And like right. that just that's hard to do at times. Um and it's late and it's dark and all of those things can contribute. And so I think it's just really important that you just Allow yourself, give yourself the grace to pause and do kind of a, a moment of self-reflection um, as you're engaging with your family, whether it be extended or immediate. And one of the things that I use a lot um, is the ABC. So you attune uh, to what you're feeling by naming it, breathing, uh, taking deep breaths in because the more oxygen that goes to our brain, the more calm we're able to, to be, the mm -hmm. more um, level-headed, kind of, quote, rational we're able to be. And then C is curiosity and just being curious about, okay, what's going on right now that's causing me mm -hmm. to feel this way? And, and curiosity is really important. I use that word specifically because curiosity isn't judgment. And I think especially in the holiday seasons, um, or season, we can feel a sense of judgment for not being happy and not being joyful. And so it's really important to be curious with yourself um, in a, in a non-judgmental, gracious way. What's going on? Why, why am I feeling really anxious right now? 
So those are, I mean, yeah, A, B, C, easy to remember, but you can also do that with your kids yeah. um, if, if you need to. So just a quick so little So tune, breathe, and curiosity. And curiosity. No, those yeah. are great. You can do that with your spouse as well. Um, She'll probably very need to do it with me more than I'm yeah. with her, but let's very, be real. Very helpful to, to be curious rather than just saying this is the way, you know, saying a statement, but asking a question. Yeah. Uh, those are those are really great. Well, let's jump into these these tips that, and again, we we've taken uh, some of these from psychology today, some of these from from various resources, uh, and uh, some of these just from our own. But but the first, and, and I think this one is kind of an all truth is God's truth. But but our writer of psychology today, you know, first says moderation. Mm-hmm. Uh, be be moderate in your food, in your drink, and in your schedule. And I think that's a very healthy tip yeah. because what, what do most people have at New Year's? They have the New Year's resolution to work out, lose weight, get fit, fill in the blank, whatever that is. Um, but there's also a guilt because we haven't done things in moderation. Uh-huh. Uh, there might be some uh, inappropriate behavior by those that have not done things in moderation. But then also our kids get out of whack if we haven't done things in moderation, yeah. right? We know not only has has the Lord shown, but science has proven uh, hand in hand that kids need schedules. We get this. We get this at working with children on a daily basis. But to be moderate in these things and to to recognize, and really to go back to what you were just saying, be attuned to to, to the needs of our family. So, yeah, any... Uh, You know, one of the things, um, this has kind of just been a rule that we've implemented without really knowing it, but when we're on a weekend, kind of a two, three-day excursion, um, whether that be with having company or whether that be going somewhere, I usually only allow one night for the kids to stay up really late because a lack of sleep doesn't necessarily affect you the next day. It affects you the next two or three days. And so we've found that it's just been a lot easier if we say, okay, you're going to be here Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, one night, we'll keep the kids up till eight or nine. And my kids are, I mean, babies, you know, two and under. So um, that you can adjust that based on your kids and their age, but I have found that just setting that boundary is helpful because the next day may be fine, um, but the three days after or the two days after, like that, just puts more stress on on us. And it's just right. not worth it. Well, and it's interesting you say that because we get caught up in the emotion of the moment. Yes. Right. We get caught up in the emotion of the moment, or we, we're seeing people that we haven't seen in a long time, and be it a positive conversation or even a negative conversation, we at times can ignore our kids. Mm-hmm. They, they can kind of become self-sufficient mm-hmm. at, at times and or somebody takes them and, mm-hmm. you know, and they're doing something fun in another room or, you know, cousins are around, et cetera. That, that becomes difficult because yeah. we don't want to take the half hour or whatever yeah. it might take to actually put the kids to bed, particularly if they're still in diapers. Yeah. And so yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a big deal. Uh, and so I think that's a really good one. The next one is... Uh, be realistic. Be realistic. And I, I love this one because it, it, it comes again as uh, psychology today. Do not worry about having the ideal Christmas. Mm-hmm. Be realistic and present with the one where you are. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, we kind of hit on that at the beginning, but just understanding that this may not be a season that everybody enjoys and loves, and we may not have a Christmas that we enjoy and love. And that's that's okay. Being yeah. realistic with understanding that you know different family members are going to have different expectations. Um, different seasons of life bring that. And not to 
you know, beat a dead horse here, but uh, Christmas Vacation is a perfect <laughs> example of that, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the whole premise of that movie is to have this wonderful yeah. classic family Christmas, and what you know, Clark Griswold learns throughout that that movie is they weren't ever perfect, no. right? No. It's a talk between he and his dad. He's like, "Are you kidding me? Do you not remember Christmas? We were all miserable." Yeah, you know, and and it's it's kind of this beautiful reflection. In, in one sense, because all of a sudden this you know this zany, wacky slapstick comedy turns serious because, mm-hmm. hey, it's never been easy. And I think a lot of times we think about moments and not a, a, in part, but not the whole. Yeah, I love that scene when they all sit down to dinner and that turkey looks perfectly cooked, oh, yeah. and then they cut into it and it's just disgusting. And that just, I mean, that just resonates. I think that's why we all love that movie so much, too, is because, like, it strikes a chord with us. Right. Somebody is Cousin Eddie, right? Yes. There, there is, whether they mean to be or not. Yeah. You've got, you've got the, the awkward family dynamic of, of different people. You, you know, people are aging, and, and there's generation gaps and, yeah. and understanding. And, I mean, there, there's so many different aspects that, that really do play into that and we all want to run from it and be like no that's not it's not really us yeah but sometimes it really is and we find ourselves being Clark we find ourselves yeah. you know being cousin Eddie we find ourselves in, <laughs> yeah. in almost every role right man I kind of hope I'm never cousin Eddie <laughs> yeah but sometimes we are <laughs> but sometimes we you are. know and uh and it's and it's it's so it's so interesting but yeah. the, the having that ideal Christmas I think we try for things to to live up to it and you know, it's tough to communicate that vision sometimes, too. Yeah. I, I remember we had, we had a Christmas a few years ago, and my mom had a really great idea. And I think I understood what she wanted out of it. Uh, but I think it was tough for some others that were there that were some guests with us to, to really get that. Mm-hmm. And it felt weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Thanksgiving, uh, Katie has an uncle who does a really cool kind of Thanksgiving, I would say, almost meditation prayer. And, and we do it as a group, mm-hmm. and we hold hands. I never was around that. We just kind of prayed in it. Yeah. And... I was like, this is kooky. Like, what is this? Now I've actually really come to enjoy it. But still, getting, getting, you know, those wheels greased ready to do that, and when you're not doing that habitually and yeah. living together day in and day out, all of a sudden you're kind of forced to do that. And whether you live in the same town or not, it's still an issue. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the next one is focus on today and not yesterday. Uh, and I really think that's... Um, a good one because uh, the the article here says there, there's something about being with family and old friends that makes us become who we were and not who we are. When you find yourself reverting to old childhood patterns with family members, try to walk away a minute and remember who you are now. Um, go ahead and you know slap me with a two by four because that yep. that's very true. It and is. My wife actually has to remind me. I have some cousins I'm close with, and she has to remind me. Hey, you're a, you're an adult now, <laughs> and you have your own children. So yeah, just yeah. remember that. Yep. <laughs> you know? yep. yep. Yeah. 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 It is weird, you know, um, just this weird dynamic when you become adults and you're around people that you grew up with. And you know, I, my mom's the only one that lives here, so all of the rest of my family lives out of town. So really, the only times that we see each other um, or for major family events or holidays. And so it is a very strange thing to then come back. And now, you know, I have an older brother and younger sister. They're both married, um, without kids. We live very different lives from each other. And, you know, also just are very different than we were. I mean, we haven't lived together since my brother was 18, 
you know, and that was 15 plus years ago. So it's just, and, and it's okay. Like, I think that's one of the things I've had to learn over the past couple of years is like, it's okay that it's not yesterday. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. Just that's the way that life goes. Like, it is okay. But, but let's pause there for a second. We can rationally get that it's okay, but our hearts don't. Not our always. hearts long for that, right? Yeah. And, and you even mentioned last week in the podcast when you learned about the truth of Santa that you felt like, man, Christmas has never been the yep. same. I would agree. It's kind of that Polar Express, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. the, the bell's still ringing. Yep. And yet... Yeah. Our hearts really do desire it. Like, yeah. I think of certain Christmases I probably would never want to experience again. Mm-hmm. And then there's certain ones that I'm like, oh, if I could just capture what I felt, yeah. the excitement, the rush, the yeah. whatever. Yeah. So unlike high school or college even, where we maybe had some, some moments we can reflect fondly on or, you know, whatever that, that, that area of life might be, why do our hearts still feel sad even though our heads are like, yeah, it, it's, it's fine to change? I mean, I think... The short answer would be our hearts feel sad because that's not the way that it's supposed to be. Like, not to put the Jesus answer on it, but it's like that sadness or that sense of longing that we have is there because Christmas, the world, the the relationships that we have are ultimately not the way that they were mm-hmm. created to be. Amen. Um, and I think it's important that we just we, we acknowledge that. You know, that goes back to the ABC. Um attuned to the fact that this is a longing that you have and it is sad that it's not yesterday it's okay to feel that way like it is okay to allow yourself to grieve that for a second or for a day or for you know whatever time period you need um and then you know being thankful for the times that we have had that are that are good um but i will say you see this with families there are times when certain family members can't just flip the switch, right? So yeah. how how would you encourage either those that have trouble, let's just say flipping the switch, I'm just using that as a generic term, those that have trouble flipping the switch, how would you encourage them versus those who maybe live or will be around someone that has trouble flipping the switch, um, how would you encourage them to receive that person? Let's say it's not on them to fix them, right? It's not yeah. on you to make, the experience that that they're having be the experience that they had yesterday um it's amazing what listening and saying yeah that makes sense i understand that can do for someone um to be known in a moment where they feel sad and to be accepted in a moment where they feel sad or where they feel upset or where they are missing somebody that they love that goes along a long way with people and that's ultimately I mean that's a reflection of what Jesus did for us right like he did so much more than that he not only came and was present with us he he rescued us we can't be in the in the you know job of rescuing people but your presence has an unbelievable impact on people when you say man I really see why you would be sad this holiday season because your mom's not here you miss your mom like that totally makes sense. Saying something even that that I don't want to call it easy, but that simple um, goes a long way yeah. with people. That's yeah. where I would start. That's yeah. where I would start. So acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the feelings. Celebrate what you can. 
um, and you know if there is something but I wouldn't rush to that it's like a lot of times what happens is when we see people in discomfort we feel uncomfortable and we'll do anything we can to get out of that discomfort like that's human nature right um, and so when a person is sitting across from us telling us about these memories of our mom it's like oh that's you know yeah and she's looking down on you today and it's like that's great yes we can acknowledge that and it's like acknowledging that some of that is like our own uncomfortableness with pain yeah you know so um so yeah being present in that moment i have found to be helpful wow the next one is just say no and uh, it feels How like a, you, yeah it feels like a 1980s um <laughs> yeah. you know dare poster right just say no to drugs but uh, this goes a little further in, in the sense that it's okay to say no when you're asked to do more than you can. And I think this is one of those things that, um, you know, uh, one, one Christian writer, um, I think, coined the phrase, uh, just take it off your bean, Jen Hatmaker. She, she had written a book uh, years ago where, where she just tells people to take it off their beam. And I think we get into this very odd habitual place of just saying yes because mm-hmm. someone asks you you're honored um but you don't have the bandwidth mm-hmm. to to do those things and you know even this weekend my wife and i are going to to a holiday event and we were invited to do a couple of things beforehand and we're just gonna have to say no and it was very gracious but we're, we're yep. doing the main part but not yep. not some of the ancillary pieces and that that though even felt yeah awkward just to yeah. say no but then if you take the same principle to, let's say, outside of school realm, right, that becomes very um, almost countercultural mm-hmm. in a way. To say oh, no. totally countercultural. And if we go back to what we were just talking about with not assuming that family role, you know, it's not yesterday. Um, and oftentimes being around our immediate family when we're adults can cause us to get back into that pattern. If we are in... If, if we play the role in our family of always saying yes or always being the flexible one, it's going to be really easy for us to continue to do that when we're adults and have our own family. Yeah. Um, and so it's just important to recognize that and important to, to remember that you saying no doesn't mean that you don't love them. And these are things that you have to tell yourself, right? Because the messages you may be experiencing from your family is like, well, you don't care about us you're not loving, you're not gracious towards us, um, you don't under, you know, you don't want to be with us. And it's just like, it's really important that we recognize that that's not all about us, that's some about them. Um, and it is okay to set a boundary and say no. Yeah. And, it's hard and, to do. Well, and I told a story, you know, there were a few years ago where um, I got to our place where we were spending Christmas I was excited to see some folks. We got there a little bit later, like 8 o'clock at night. Nothing extremely late, right? And some of the relatives that, that were staying somewhere else, they had already left. And I was like, are, are you kidding me? Like, y'all couldn't have stayed extra 20, 30 minutes just to say hey to yeah. us. And, and I was so excited to mm-hmm. see them. And, and I, I was hurt by that. They needed to take care of themselves. I think now, looking at it, I, I can understand that a yeah. little bit more. Um, but... You know, at times it, it hurts, but that was more about me and what I wanted mm-hmm. than necessarily what they wanted. Yeah. And and I, you know, it's it, but that's a tough thing. Like it's it still, is. It, it's it still is. tough to wrestle yes. with. But then I think about saying no to family and yeah. saying no to family versus saying no to friends are two vastly different mm-hmm. things, right? 
we live life a little bit more at times with friends than we do family. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit more of an honest, open relationship with our friends than we do our families at times, yeah. particularly if they're out of town. Yeah. And so how would you encourage, kind of going back to this, you know, don't, don't fall into uh, a childhood pattern on that focus on today and not yesterday, how would you then say, well, just say no to, to your family, particularly if you're falling into a childhood pattern with a sibling, with a parent, grandparent, cousins, aunts, uncles, whomever? It's part of the role of our spouse, right? And if you don't have a spouse, part of the role of the friend is, is to say, hey, I see you falling into this pattern, asking the people around you, um, and doing an inventory of yourself. It's like asking, asking yourself, what is my motivation behind being saying yes to this? Yeah. Is it because I feel like I won't be accepted if I don't say yes to this? Mm. Because that's a different, like, that's a different ball game. Um, and I think, you know, what's really important, um, Henry Cloud talks about this um, when he talks about boundaries, is we often feel like saying no is really hurtful. And so we say yes, right? We don't want to be mean. We don't want to reject somebody. But a lot of times what happens when we say yes when we don't want to is that we get bitter uh, and feel like people are taking advantage of our time. And that actually creates more distance relationally than saying no when you honestly can't do it. Which is, it's really hard to do. And if you, like, I didn't learn how to do this until college, really, and am and, and still learning how to do it. You can ask my husband, still learning how to set boundaries. It is really uncomfortable. And the discomfort, I would say, you know, we try and do anything we can to avoid discomfort. Um, and I would say embrace some of that. Like, and embrace some of the, the yes, I have limits, and I hate that I have limits. Mm. It's pretty vulnerable. Yeah, it is. It is vulnerable. That's one of the other reasons we don't do it, but that's another conversation. Yeah. So so the the first four, moderation, being realistic, and focus on today, not yesterday, and just say no. All those came from a Psychology Today article uh, really on, on tips on surviving the holidays. It, it's, a, it's a good article, um, but, but I would say then we kind of continued some yeah. of these with what we see, particularly with our families. And, and the next one's really check-ins, and this is something I do with my kids. Uh, when, you, when you've got a lot of people at a house or you've got a lot of kids running around, even if uh, you don't and there's some boredom there, having a 10-second or less check-in mm-hmm. with a kid is important. And it can be very spontaneous. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, growing up, I feel like I was, I was usually called to stop doing what I was doing and not anything else. Um, yeah. I, I just want you to do this. And, the, and, and I think it was at times my parents maybe just pulling me away and saying, hey, we're seeing that you need a break. That wasn't really explained to me. And so I, I, I you know, might, might pitch a fit or I might get really upset because I had some cousins my age and we played yeah. vigorously, yeah. right? Like boys typically do. And with doing the check-in, I, we, I do this both with Katie, my, my wife, and then both my children. As they're running around, just, just real quick, hey, how you doing? Good? Do you need anything? Nope. Okay. And, and do that sporadically throughout yeah. the day. And, you know, it's funny. Typically, we find ourselves spending the most quality time together in the car rides to uh-huh. and from where we're going. Definitely. Uh, and that's also the quietest. Yes, right. Uh, but trying to be intentional about, about stopping that moment, calming that down, doing a quick check-in, and then moving on. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, in that, too, you could do a code word. You could do, I mean, if, you know, you could do some kind of signal, too, if, if your kid doesn't want to be pulled out and look different. Um, you know, I, I'm those. thinking of the little rascals where, you know, they put the thumb on the nose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great, a great tip, great way to pause for a second. And then uh, one that, that you had mentioned is saying what you need. Just yeah. say what you need. And, and I think you're, you're specifically talking about spouses and mm-hmm. possibly parental relationships between mm-hmm. what, what you hope are functioning adults, but, but saying what you need in these moments. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of, I don't know, um, a lot of people, the holidays can be a vastly different experience than regular life, but also between your spouse and you, um, there can easily be time filled with tension, you know, because you're getting from place to place or you're around family and you act differently around family than you do normally. Um, And so just being conscious and aware of what your spouse may need. Um, And sometimes your spouse may need to take a break from their own family, you know, and and the other spouse is there to say, hey, take a break. It's okay to take a break, Um, which would, you know, is hard to do at times. Um, But yeah, asking for what you need from the people around you that know you and that are around you every day is really, really helpful because we can easily get wrapped up in all the emotion and all of the activity um, and having someone there to help you attune and co- they call it at times co-regulate, right? Yeah, so right. with your your kids, um, you're there to, to help them co-regulate. They co-regulate because of their connection with you. Same thing with spouses. We can co-regulate um, with our spouses because of our connection with them. And so using them to help you co-regulate can be really helpful. And that starts with asking for what, what you need or having your spouse say, hey, do you need anything right now? Well, and it, interesting you say that. Over Thanksgiving, I was in a cabin with, with 24 people. Uh, it was great, uh, sort of. And <laughs> we, we, we really did have a, a really great time. But one of the things that my wife just said, um, knowing just kind of how that system goes each year and it's pretty routine and we can understand what to expect she just said hey there might be a couple of times that I just need you to take the kids and let me be with my sisters yeah and she said that going into it I hadn't done anything yet there was no resentment it was and this kind of leads me into my next one which is game planning right she she and I kind of talked about just establishing a game plan so she would she told me early on hey I'm thinking about what I might need I'm probably going to need and want this, so can can you do that? And it really helped us game plan the rest of the way. Yeah. And, all right, what time are our kids going to go to bed? We put our daughter down a little bit earlier than our son. Our son's a little bit more, uh, we'll say, obedient right now in, in the way that he goes down, our three-year-old, not so much, <laughs> uh, you know, particularly with bedtime. And to quote Jim Gaffigan, it's something we do every day, but they act like it's it's a surprise that they have to right. go to bed. Right, and a terrible surprise. Yes, yes, the wailing and gnashing of teeth. But um, there there is an aspect of game planning. Who's going to go to bed? How are we going to do bedtime? Where are people going to sleep? Mm-hmm. Uh, just just being able to think through those things. Ukraine, you can't do it all. You can't, no. you can't manipulate and control these things, but it at least allows you to go in somewhat already having thought through the potential that they could disrupt your family life at a deeper level later on in the trip than maybe what might seem kind of, you know, uh, myopic at the beginning. Just being, yeah. ah, it's just, just something small. 
Yeah, and assuming that, you know, I mean, my husband and I kind of split bedtime duties. Um, but if, you know, if we have friends or family over and I want to spend time with friends or family and just kind of shove the bedtime duties off to him without saying beforehand, hey, it would be really helpful and it would mean a lot if I could have some time, um, you know, and you could take care of bedtime by yourself tonight. Um, that kind of thing really knocks down on the bitterness, yeah. the resentment that can, that can happen. Well, and, and, and to that end, one of the things that my parents did a great job with uh, over the holidays was when they came up and visited us, they were here for Grandparents' Day. Katie and I went out one night with, with some friends, and we just said thank you, and we really appreciate it. We said we'd love, we, we'd love that, um, and we'd love it if you guys would be willing to do it again sometime. And, and that was it. There, there, was yeah. no, there was no manipulation tactic or anything with that. However, what my, my mom and dad both now are like, hey, when we have the kids. We'd love to help you. How, what can we do to help? Yeah. Um, they, they saw the appreciation of it, and, the, and the, there was something really nice. Now, that, that's not always been the case necessarily. I haven't always felt like I've wanted the freedom or Katie wanted that, and that's not my parents' fault necessarily. That Some of that's definitely on, on us. But it really opened the door mm-hmm. to, hey, what, what can we do this, this upcoming time? Do you guys want to go do this or this? And, and it's been fun to think about, but it's also been a healthy way to think about how to do yeah. life. Yeah, Especially definitely. Especially living with more people. Yes. So moving on, last thing. Last thing is really thinking about your own limitations. Mm-hmm. And, and this comes from, again, Peter Scassero. Um, and he gives several tips. He says, you know, look at your personality. Um, he, he talks about, you know, look at your life situation. Uh, look at your emotional, physical, and intellectual capacities. But um, I think looking at your life situation and or season of life, he talks about both of these, I think this is really important because if we were to, to go to really, if I was to encapsulate this, I'd say comparisons to Thief of Joy, right? Yeah. Um, I could spend an absolute fortune on my kids at Christmas, and as soon as they see a cousin or a friend with a different toy, that's the toy that they wish they had instead of the one that, that they said that they wanted for 11 months out of the year. And then we're also, you know, maybe somebody got a new car. Maybe somebody um, got a really great end-of-year bonus, and they are putting in a pool on my yeah. car, car <laughs> this world, right? Yeah. Um, and I think understanding our season of life, knowing that we do have to put kids down, knowing that, that our kids may be older, and mm-hmm. you know what, we're, we're going to parent a little bit differently mm-hmm. than someone else. Mm-hmm. Also knowing our limitations, that you know what, God has not called us to do Christmas the way that, that we've done it here. God's really called us to to do Christmas a little bit differently, whether that be through our finances or through, yeah. you know, uh, an abundance and year in and year out. And I'd encourage anybody to, and I, this is, I'm saying this to myself as well, that when you have somebody maybe miss an expectation um, that you had, uh, to be gracious to them and consider, mm-hmm. okay, maybe, again, investigate. Well, I wonder why they're doing that. Maybe it's not because they don't, care for me or they don't value me but maybe it's because they have two young kids and or three young kids or maybe it's because you know they need some time alone like not as automatically assuming somebody's doing something to hurt you kind of believing the best right about someone else right well uh kds families uh you've heard us from us today but we hope you guys do have a merry christmas and a a happy new year Uh, school will start back on january 6th that monday and, you know, again, we, we always want your, uh, your thoughts, your comments coming back to us. 
And in January, we're going to start a new uh, just kind of series of healthy habits. And so we're going to have some, some folks on for that, and we're really looking forward to it. So uh, until then, again, Merry Christmas, and we wish you guys the best. Thank you.